This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Thanks for Sharing podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. Today on our podcast, we have a guest speaker. Well, she's not a speaker, but a guest on the podcast that we're going to have a conversation with. And so our guest today is Dr. Deborah Warner. Let me tell you a little bit about Deborah. So Dr. Deborah Warner is a leading forensic psychologist. She's a popular speaker. She's a trauma expert. She trains professionals, and she's also an author. So she addresses diverse topics, including PTSD, multicultural therapeutic teachings, gang intervention, prison reform, human trafficking, violence against women, substance abuse, relationships, parenting, and mental health. So she's covering all the heavy stuff. She is a professor at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in Los Angeles, and Dr. Warner is also sought out as an expert witness, a psychological evaluator, and a consultant. Dr. Warner is also a male trauma expert. She is the spouse of a male survivor, and she is the author of His History, Her Story, a survival guide for spouses of male survivors of childhood sexual abuse and trauma. And she has devoted her professional efforts to helping men and their loved ones confront and conquer their long-term effects of trauma on the male psyche. And I am so excited to have her on the podcast talking about this topic, male, male trauma, because I think so often it gets overlooked or just kind of wrapped up and we don't give space for men to talk about their trauma and the effects of that. So welcome, Dr. Deborah Warner. Well, thank you for letting me be here. It's an honor. Yeah. So my first question for you, and, and as I told you, we'll just kind of have a discussion, just kind of riff and talk about some really great topics. But what brought you to this work? I understand you're married to a male survivor, but tell me kind of about that timeline. It's interesting because I thought I was going to work in Beverly Hills with poorly parented children because mm-hmm. it's never the children. It's always the parents. And right. The- right? Yes. And I went to Columbia University and I had my first rotation with uh, developing disabled. And also there was a wing of these students called forensic patients. I had no idea what that meant at that time. And I remember I had a patient that had at the time it was called multiple personality disorder, but now it's called disassociative identity disorder. And I remember they were in a love triangle because they would switch (laughs) identities and the person the other person figured it out and I remember that person became very angry and tore a payphone off a wall oh wow and the money went everywhere and now a normal person would have said oh this is scary (laughs) what it ran me no I was like in my element wasn't shaken by it was trying to defuse the situation and so I went up to my supervisor and I said hey what patients are those? They said forensic patients. That's what I want to do the rest of my life. And so I started working with youth and then I started working with sex offenders and I started working with people who are recidivate, meaning they cycle through Uh the system. And from that, I started working with gang intervention. And, and then I realized there was something about me that I navigated towards males and males who were survivors of trauma and all of that, no matter what, I was always navigating toward trauma survivors. And I happened to live with one. And so I realized there was something to that. You know, and so I said, this is just the path because whenever I deviated from it, I went a different direction. It it never worked for me. But when I stayed with this, 
and this is what I was meant to do. I think this is God's path for me. It, it worked. And so I um, have dedicated my life to that. And, and I've dedicated it also because I, I love my husband, but he always feels like no one listens and no one hears him. And I figured out that's a pattern with male survivors. It's a mad pattern with men because men are silenced in mm-hmm. our culture. And in doing so, men do not get to be heard or seen. And what's interesting is that because I'm a woman, people hear me, but they don't hear the men. And, Which is um, so interesting because yeah. we, we are used to hearing women survivors, uh-huh. but yeah, we, we don't listen to male survivors. No. There's a discomfort with that. Oh, completely uncomfortable. And in my TED talk, I talk about that, which people can find on TEDx on the, the YouTube channel. But I talk about how men um, are in the silence. And the, the TED talk I did that year is called Breaking the Silence at Palo Alto College. And I talk about how people do not want to hear that men talk about this, but also that when men do talk about it, it's like they have to admit that they're less than a man and they feel like that because our society wants men to be all these things. They want them to be the star athlete, the entrepreneur, the protector, right? But men cannot be all of those things, right? So when they don't live up and then they say, oh my God, on top of that, I was assaulted. They'll mm-hmm. say, well, why didn't you stop it? Now, how, how in the world can you stop that with someone who's a perpetrator? Especially right. if you're a young child, right? Right, right. Can you imagine you're the size of an eraser and they're the size of a pencil? Who's going to win? <laughs> every pencil. time a pencil, every time. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like that, that blame that they get, that men get, is why they stay silent and it's why people turn their ears because they're like, no, that just can't happen. They're stronger than us. And then you have all this, and I'm not knocking women in any way. I'm a woman, but you have the whole girl power, all of this. And, and then men feel like, well, where do I belong? Cause if they say I was assaulted, that takes away from a woman and people are more likely to say, well, they were the victim. They were yes. the survivor. You were not. And so men do not get to be heard. So in all of that, I created a whole conference about it. <laughs> I've, you know, written a book. I've done all of that because I, you know, want men to be heard. I want men yeah. to feel like there's a place for them in this world to talk about that pain and that healing that needs to be done. Sure. So tell me this, because we did see when the Me Too movement kind of broke out a couple of years ago, we did see like men start to join that and say me too, right? How do you think that was handled? Like, was that progress? Was there things that still maybe were missed in that? There's men who said that and stepped up to that, but they, it was still, there was a lot. If you look in the media, they were still saying, yes, that happened to men, but predominantly women are the ones, right? And they right. focused right. a lot on that. Like, and until you got star power behind it, like Terry Crews, right? Or other people like that saying, no, this really happened. This really did affect me. I mean, just the other day, I had someone say that they didn't believe Terry Crews. And this is someone who I've worked with and educated about male survivor trauma. And I just silently looked at them and I said, a man will never say that if it's not true. Right. Especially with DT. Because the stakes are so high in saying it. And look at him. You would be, what? Come on, right? That's what people will say. And it's like, a man will never put themselves out there like that if it's not true. And so I have my um, TED coach actually gave me a necklace that says men too. Mm, I love that. And yeah. And I did that with my theatrics and um, actually it was more like TED, but I had the me too. And when you change the slide, it went men too. Oh yeah. To remember our men. Yes. Right. 
And we need to remember that they're a part of the society because leaving them out is not letting them have a voice, but it's also focusing on what well, women are the ones, women are the ones. And in, in doing that, we're also in a way enabling women to be victimized because they're the weaker because we're focusing so much on them being the survivors. We're not realizing that they could also be the perpetrators and that continues the problem. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I saw, um, because I'm Facebook friends with you, you yeah. had posted something the other day about like women are perpetrators too, or women, women assault too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my husband had two female perpetrators mm. and uh, people are like, that's not true. And I'm like, well, let me tell you the story. <laughs> right. Well, but I was actually- thinking for so many men, right. I've had these yeah. male clients where they're talking about their first sexual experiences yes. and I'm saying, that's abusive. And they're saying like, no, I was lucky. Like I, yeah. I got lucky. Like th- yeah. this 30 year old woman was interested yeah. in me as a 14 yeah. year old. And I'm like, no, no, that's, that's predatory. And it completely changes your views on sex. It completely changes your views on relationships. Right. Um, you know, and people, you know, call, you call it the lucky syndrome. Like there's a comedian who actually has a skit about this. Mm. Right. And you're not lucky because you, that first kiss was taken from you. That, that giddy feeling you'd have with someone of your own age or someone who wasn't taking advantage of you for their own needs was taken from you. And so when you get in a relationship, you don't even know how to explore. You don't even know how to explore your right. sexuality. And it causes a rift with right. your partner. And you don't even know it's a problem. Now, they may know it's a problem. Because they're like, this is not how it goes. Right. But to tell the, the other person who's a survivor, they're going to go, what are you talking about? This is how it's always been. Because you go back to your first encounter. Uh-huh. And you continue that pattern because you think that's what you're supposed to do. I've worked with um, many male survivors in, in um, my career. And one of the things they tell me is that I always strive to please my perpetrator. So when I get in a sexual relationship, I'm always striving to please, not realizing that it's a mutual reciprocation. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the consenting other- relationships are two way. Yeah. Yeah. There's no two way or they become very distant and they don't want to have sex because it, it, they feel that they're doing it wrong or they feel a negativity or they feel dirty and bad because it was dirty and bad. You had to keep the secret. Uh-huh. And so changing that thought process is very hard for them. So when they say I was lucky, I, I start saying, okay, well, take me back. Take me to your next experience. How old were they? Okay. Take me to the other one. Okay, take me to your present one. How was the relationship? And I can begin to show them how the patterns have interwoven into their life. I'm like, how do you act with your daughter? How do you interact? Even they're not, may not be lusting them, but they can't relate. Right. Mm-hmm. Or how do you re- react with your son? Or what is, you know, have you, has your kids ever looked at you like cross-eyed because you overreacted to something that wasn't even occurring? Mm. It, and it stemmed back to that trust that was broken. Right. Even in the my childhood own, that was stolen, stolen. Right. Even in my own home, I have to talk to my husband. Yeah, I talked to him. I'm like, okay, but that's not a normal response. <laughs> you know, and I'll say, okay, but take yourself out of it. And close your eyes and envision that coming from someone else. And he'll go, oh, I'm like, yeah, most people wouldn't think that, (laughs) you know? And so you have to sometimes normalize that for a trauma person, that's normal, but there's other people where that response would be looked at awkwardly. Right. And so what do you find in the years that you've been doing this, what do you find men's reaction is? To me or to the whole thing or like just to the messaging, I would, I would imagine it's pretty, it's a complex reaction. I get a range of responses. Like 
I mean, I can tell you when I'm sitting across from someone, I have a sixth sense for who they are. And if you read my book, his history, her story, I kind of go through that whole process. Uh And I just usually say, so what happened to you? And I get from men crying to men exploding to men just finally feeling relief that they can tell somebody. A lot of times I'm the first person they've told. A lot of times me just asking that question gets them to reveal to someone else. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I do is when a survivor is going to disclose to me, I shut up, especially a male. Because if they, if they are going to tell somebody, that's the moment. And you need to stop talking because mm-hmm. they'll never do it again. It takes so much to go against the grain and admit that they were traumatized in that way or that they were vulnerable because they're not supposed to be. You know, When I'm out in the community and I'm talking about this, I usually, at the end of speaking, get someone to say, hey, you know, that happened to me and that, and I just didn't see it that way. I didn't realize how much it affected me. Or I get people saying, yeah, but that's just a few guys. Mm. And I still get the negative Nellies that come in and say these things. And I'll be like, okay, that's just a few guys. If I were talking about women, would you openly say that? Would you come up to me and say, well, that was just a few women? Take gender out of it. Would you say that to me right now? And then they start thinking about how that's their thinking, their stereotypes, they're putting something into it, you know, and sometimes I'll even tell the story of someone being abused and I'll leave the gender out. And then I'll say, so what do you think this person looks like? And they'll tell me and whatever. And I say, actually, they're about six foot four. And, you know, and I start telling them that and they're like, what? I said, you, you thought it was a five foot one girl, didn't you? And so I try to get them to change their thought patterns. So I get a range Sometimes you even get people who will just tell you straight out that you're lying. Wow. <laughs> that doesn't occur. Oh, yeah. I get, I get people who will just say, no, I don't really want to talk about that. Or, you know what? I just, you know, I don't feel that that's necessary. It's not, it's not enough of the population. Yeah. Well, why do we as a society not want to hear this or not? I mean, I get that it's hard to wrap our heads around the amount of victims that are out there. But like why will we just push away the information? Because it makes people uncomfortable. That's it. It's kind of like when something new comes out and you don't know how to handle it instead of until you're ready to deal with it, you just pretend it's not there. Right. Right. That's what they're doing. Let's just pretend this doesn't exist because, well, it makes me uncomfortable and I don't know how to handle it. It's new. Mm -hmm. And I've learned, you know, the more you talk about it, I was going to say, which is another perpetration against the victim. Yeah, it, it is. It honestly is. But the more you talk about it, the more people stop doing that. Like when women were coming out years ago, it was like, okay, honey, we go sit down, find a nice husband. He can protect you. Right. right? Now right. you don't hear that as much, right? Uh-huh. It's the same thing. Okay, you're, you're a man, this happened. You know what? I believe you. That's the first thing I tell people, just, you know what, no no matter what happens, just don't say, well, that only happened to you or something like that. Just say, I believe you. That's Mm -hmm. all. That's all you have to say. Right. You don't know what else to say. Just say, I believe you. Yeah. You know, or just say, thank you for telling me that. If you don't want to say that, thank you for Uh sharing that with me. Cause you know how hard that was saying, thank you doesn't imply anything. Right. Right. Other than recognizing the vulnerability it took. Exactly. Or, or that they're talking to you. You're mm-hmm. thanking them for speaking. That's right. just common courtesy and good manners, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
you're thanking them for putting their presence in your space because they could right. choose not to be there with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, so just say thank you. Yeah. And so for the men who are starting to wrap their heads around this, right, and to start to talk about this and to recognize that change and healing comes in acknowledging the problem, acknowledging uh, that the experience happened, right, and then being able to talk about that, what do you find maybe that their journey with that is? Everyone's different, but... The one thing I've learned is that it is not going to be an easy process. It's going to be a slow process, right? right? And I see men who say, okay, I talked about it. I've been in therapy for a year. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I'm like, um, I caution you against it <laughs> because the, it took you 45 years to tell me this. It's right. going to take you a long time to be okay to function, right? Without all the habits, you've learned to cover it up. Uh -huh. That's not about you. That's about you learn these behaviors yeah. to cover this up so that no one knew. Now you're, you've bared your soul and it's out there. Now what do you do? You don't know. You don't have a script for that in your head because men yeah. are, you know, one thing about men is that they're consistent. They're consistent in the way of how they like routine, right? So their routine has been messed up. <laughs> we have to create a new one. That's just right. how men work. And that's okay. They like to fix things, but this is not something they can just fix by, you know, turning on a faucet and getting a wrench. This is inside. That's yeah. different. And I, and a lot of times I have to have them slow down and, and do that. You know, it, it might take days. It might take years. I mean, I had a guy who for many years, his family would prostitute him as a child mm. since he was six years old. And he was still a child when I talked to him, like he was stuck there. And one of my goals in therapy was to get him to grow with me. Like I could see the years adding on to him, mm -hmm. but I also knew that had to be very slow. And he just wanted to be an adult. And sometimes I'd say, well, how do you feel right now? Especially when he was throwing a temper tantrum. It was clearly that's what was going on. Right? How do you feel right now? I feel eight. Oh, you feel eight. What happened at eight? And a lot of times I can figure out what happened, but it's, yeah. but you know, when I got him to start saying he was a teenager, I knew that the healing. So it really depends on who, who you are, what kind, you know, kind of therapy you get, um, how open you are to really looking at yourself. Cause it's hard to do. It's not easy. Right. You no, know? it's not. And where you want to be, a lot of people choose to just stay where they're at. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's comfortable and it's, as where you can be in your functioning, I say, okay, I might yeah. say you could do, you could be so much more. They have to believe that. And then there's other people who soar and want to do more than that. There's nothing wrong with either choice. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's about supporting that survivor in the choice they make for their life. Right. Yeah. I'm hearing you talk and it, it reminded me, I've, I've heard the saying most of my life and I've never really liked the saying, right? Once I got married and I would talk about it with my husband, I mean, obviously he finds it offensive, but the saying of like, regardless of how old the man is, he's basically a 14 year old. <laughs> and, and it makes me think like, if we were asking better questions, like, why do you think that is? Yeah. Like, what do you think happened that made that so? Yeah. Instead of just like, oh yeah, that's how men are. Mm -hmm. Maybe talking about a handful or larger of male victims. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Men are equally as likely to have been abused physically, sexually, emotionally as women. It's one okay. in six men. One in six. Yeah. 
And from what I've read, still, that's probably an underreported number. It is. Because men don't identify as a victim or they can't talk about it. Mm-mm. And so one in six is still maybe high. It is. And it's, it's sad because they may not even see it that way. And it is unfortunate. And most of them will never tell anyone. I met somebody recently and he's like, he was in his 70s. His mm-hmm. 70s, okay? And he finally came up to me and he goes, I've been wanting to talk to you. This happened to me when I was six and I've never said anything till this day. Wow. Can you imagine what that did to his life and how he carried that? And he right. even said, I feel like a hundred weights have come off of me. Just telling somebody. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's, it's gotta be more than that. It's gotta be. Right. Yeah. And so but when your book came out, this latest book with the, or his history, um, I love that play on words. I thought that was a really great like title stuff. Was that something you came up with or like, I mean, it just lends so well to the work that you're doing about his history, because it's not the men, male history that is recorded. Yeah, it was kind of a mutual thing. I had my husband read it and approve everything that I put in it, because uh-huh. I am telling his story, right? Yes. But he's like, you're the only one who can tell my story, because nobody's going to believe me. Mm. And so it was kind of like, this is how I feel, you know? Right. And it is his history, but it is my journey. It's really about me and how I figured all this out and how I'm trying to help people with what I know. And that's why he said, I want you to write the book and I I want you to speak on this. He goes, because one, no one will hear me, but it is about how you got here and this is going to help other people because there was no resource for me. I'm just like, I am, this is not what I signed up for. You know, so I couldn't figure out what was going on with all of it. Okay. So, and so it kind of, the title came from that because I just wanted people to get and if you're, if you're living in that, you're going to exactly know what it is. Uh-huh. You exactly know what I'm talking about, that this is your journey and whatever's going on with him has caused a lot of these struggles, but it's about you trying to wrap your head around it. Mm-hmm. You know? So what are some of the, you talked about maybe some of the habits or rituals that men come up with to kind of cover it or to try to be successful. What are some of those that people might recognize? You know, it, it really depends on the person. It depends on the type of abuse, too, that, that goes into it. Like, you know, people who are physically abused, one of the things that I see a lot is I call it the hiding under the bed. <laughs> and, and they hide because if, if you have physical abuse or you're seeing your mother physically abused, you want to stay out of the way of the blows, right? But yes. they do that with everything. It's not just one thing. They will hide under the bed if they think you're slightly mad at you and you have to go root them out like they're a little kid, right? You know, you have to go seek them out. There's the men who disappear for days and they come back and, and you're like, where have you been? I've just been sleeping in my car. Like, what? <laughs> Why would you do that? Because right. they're hiding under the bed. They're not doing anything reckless either, you know? Right. And then there's ones that t- substance abuse is a huge one. Mm-hmm. depending on what they've been seen in their environment and their vices are, but they will use substances to escape, right? Sure. You go with any type of abuse and, and it's because they don't want their reality, especially if they're still living in a dysfunctional situation, right? Uh-huh. Other things is they don't take responsibility that everything's about what you're doing. And if you say any criticism to them, they bring it up to about what you're doing you know, and what you're saying. And I'm like, dude, I'm not even saying that. You just told me something. I'm trying to respond to you. Can you give me space to do that without being defensive? Mm -hmm. And the defensiveness is so off the charts that you think you're crazy. 
because how do you get defensive on do you want a blue apple or do you want a brown apple and I chose a blue apple and you don't like that I chose a blue apple so you think you're bad mm. like how in the world do you make that about our relationship <laughs> because because in the past they've been bad about everything right and they've been told that so just because you have a difference of opinion they must be the dirty and bad that they've been told and so when you find yourself going, that doesn't make sense. How in the world can an apple have anything to do with how I love you? You know, those are things, you know, those are signs that something's yes. there. Or they check out on you. That's another one, the checking mm -hmm. out. Like, you know, you're like, I feel connected to you. But when I talk to you, you take three days to respond to a phone call or a text message beyond the, you know, let's wait the three day, you know, wait before I call, I want her to think I'm cool thing that people do, right. which I don't understand. That's why I don't like dating. I'm glad I'm married, but, <laughs> but it is beyond that. It's a control thing of them getting intimate with you, them having a relationship with you, finding out about your day. Those are all intimate things. It's not sexual. It is finding out about you and who you are, right? And so, so does intimacy feel risky to them? Does it feel dangerous to them? Yes, because okay. then they're vulnerable. It's all about that vulnerability again, mm -hmm. right? So it, it, is, it is to have contact with you more than I'm used to means I feel close to you. So let me not do that, right? So you're like, I don't understand. Like when I'm with you, I feel like you want to be here. But then when I'm not with you, you act like I'm a bother, that's mm -hmm. because to give you more than that means that they're getting closer to you and it's more intimate. Yes. Okay. So these might be some of the guys we talk about, like they have commitment issues. That's yeah. one of the way it manifests, right? But there's yeah. something bigger behind that. Yeah. Well, they commit to you, but they don't feel present. Yes. So they come home every day. They eat dinner with you. They're not cheating on you. None of that. But you're like, I just don't feel like you really want to be here. Like you're doing all the things you're supposed to do, but you don't know anything about them, right? Mm -hmm. You ask them about their day. They might say it was okay. How was yours? Well, that's great. Can you give me some depth? <laughs> no depth comes to them, right? right. They, they just seem like a shell. Yeah. And so for, the, for men, adult men, if they are becoming aware of that or like listening to your Ted talk and you're describing this, I would imagine for some of them, that's the first time they might look at what happened to them as abuse or trauma or wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've had lots of people reach out to me because of that. And it's the first time they actually realized that they had trauma or willing to look at it, allowing themselves to believe it. Yeah. Um, and it, they feel like they have the strength because there's someone else out there or someone who understands and it, it, that touches my heart because that's why I did it. I mean, why else would someone put themselves out there that much unless there's some other motive and that is to help people, you mm -hmm. know? Sure. Yes. To understand and bring healing. Yeah. So what, what do you advise or how do you talk to the women in their life who are dealing with this, maybe super frustrated with this and just Beyond. thinking, what, what yeah. is this? How do I deal with this? People have to decide for themselves. Um, but one of the things I, you know, I have two chapters to, you know, to stay or go or to leave or whatever you have to decide, but have a plan in your head. If that's something you want to do, because they're probably going to react very badly to it. Okay. Um, or also be settled in whatever your decision is and work towards it. When I changed my thoughts around it, it helped me when I realized I can't fix this. 
this uh-huh. problem was here way before me. Okay. Right. So me sitting here trying to fix it and control what behavior he does, is not going to get me anywhere. It really isn't. But what mm-hmm. I can do is change how I respond to it. Right. Like, you know, just the other day I'm asking my husband a question and he's having some sort of meltdown that I don't even understand. And because, you know, the sprinkler systems broke, my dog is running around being crazy and my kids asking him questions. And then I'm asking him a question. I realize, okay, he, when he gets overloaded, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. So I said, what can I do so that I'm not adding to his overloading? You know, the old me would have said, you know, what? aren't you not listening to me? Like, wh- why don't you just prioritize? Like, I can't tell him what to do. I can't do that. But what I can do is say, hey, you know what? You talk to me when you have time. I, this is not pressing. And just walk away mm-hmm. or just walk away. I don't even say anything half the time. Because that's how I stay sane. Because I know if I add to that, that's not going to be good. Yeah. Right. So, so really being able to recognize, right, whether they're flooded mm-hmm. in this place of overwhelm, that that is going to trigger some trauma response. Yeah. The triggers are completely there. Knowing them triggers. And you, sometimes you may not want to admit to them that they have a trigger. They're not, they're going to say, you're judging me or you're criticizing me or, okay, that's fine. I can keep it to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and you want to be transparent in a marriage, but there are certain things that you're like, no, I don't need to share that. It's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. go share it with your therapist. I suggest you get one. And I, I have one that I see. And, mm-hmm. and I share those things. One thing is like, don't share all of this with all your friends and people around you because they won't understand. People right. always want to go to the negative place. Well, you should leave. You should do this. And like, and I always tell the women who come in, because I also sometimes work with couples and I'll say, if you leave, what is the point of you leaving? Because mo- usually when you leave a relationship, it's to make room for someone else. Mm. So if you're going to make room for someone else, that's fine. But let's look at the consequences, the benefits, all of that for you. And then is it going to be the same relationship again? Because you are part of the dynamic. Regardless of what's happened to him, you are causing some of this. Right. So you might want to try to work on what you have and then think about making that decision. Mm -hmm. Then instead of saying it's all him and I'm going to go leave. Okay. But whoever you get is going to probably be just like that because of the energy you're putting out. Mm -hmm. And so I taught her own story, right? Like that, Mm -hmm. that pairs up well, but dysfunctionally with his story. Exactly. You're both two sides of a coin here, you know, or, or you're completing each other in a negative way. And so a lot of times I, I stop the person and say that. I said, now, if it's abusive, of course you need to leave. If you feel that this, you're just not happy. No one should stay when they're not happy. But we need to work on you a little bit so that you don't repeat this. And a year later, we're talking about the same stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? And if so I talk about that. And I do that with the survivor too. I said, if you don't work on you, you're going to find the same type of woman or man, if they're gay, right. that you have now. Yeah. You know, so I, I do a lot around that. I said, but you got to recognize your triggers so that you can be open with them with someone else. Yeah. Because if you're not open with yourself, the other person's going to, you're still going to be in the same situation again. Yeah. Do you find trying to ask this question, uh, and not make it sound like insensitive or stupid or, or right. Cause I never want to be in a place where we're comparing traumas, mm-hmm. but is there uh, a different dynamic, right? If the perpetrator to the male victim is female versus male. There is a different dynamic that occurs and each person's different. 
regardless of male or female, this is the one thing I always tell people. Okay. Penetration has occurred in any way. Not to say other types of trauma are not traumatizing. Okay. But usually if some sort of penetration has occurred, a lot of times the trauma manifests very differently. Mm. And more severe, more intense. I don't even want to say more severe because you don't want to compare. Sure. Yep. But there's definitely a different type of intensity that occurs, whether it's male or female. Now, there is from male to female, females mm. use a lot of verbal degrading more than male perpetrators, especially around sexual energy or sexual acts. Okay. Where males, when I see them perpetrating, depend, and does, a lot of this depends on the type of per- perpetrator that you are, but it's, it takes on a different uh, form. It takes on a different pattern. And so the patterns are very, very different. And without looking at people's histories, it's hard for me to say exactly the patterns. Sure. But there definitely is more of uh, a verbal patternization that goes with female perpetrators um, than male perpetrators. And also female perpetrators are usually people who are f- more familiar within the family where male perpetrators, it's usually more outside of the family, even though that doesn't happen, you will see the other types of perpetrators coming into the family and perpetrating where female perpetrators, usually your babysitter, your okay. aunt, um, your mother, things uh-huh. like that. And males are more like coaches, scout leader. Females can be that, but the, pattern more is within because you trust women more with babysitting you trust women more with watching your kid that's just our society right because of how we're conditioned so that's why you see it more with women not that that can occur you see it more because you're more trusting with women than you are with men right so talk to i know uh this is somewhat of a misnomer but for some people right they do believe that particularly for male victims if it's sexual, right? They grow up, well, really any type of abuse that happens to a male, they grow up to perpetrate. That's not true. Yeah. Talk it's about a that. Myth. Yes. Um, because that research is flawed. So imagine you're trying to gather research on people who were pedophiles who were free. Do you think that anyone free in society who's a pedophile is going to answer your survey? <laughs> right. Okay? So where do you get the data? people who are already incarcerated. Mm. And so you already have people who are incarcerated for this crime who have perpetrated. Mm-hmm. So if they admit they are perpetrating, guess what? Guess what your survey is going to yield? A hundred percent. Right. right. So, <laughs> so, so the research methods are already flawed because of the population that we Exactly. So you're not going to be able to get that data. I do know from people who I work with who are out in the world, would never perpetrate on someone else and want them to feel that pain. Yeah. That is always the response. And so just because you were perpetrated on doesn't mean that you're going to perpetrate on some, someone else. And right. when I try to explain pedophilia to people, they, they um, always say, well, explain it in a way that will make more sense. And I said, okay, some people like men, some like women, some like children, right? We all have our attraction. The difference is, is their attraction is illegal because it, they shouldn't. Right. But the attraction is always there. And it's not about really the sex, even though that's what happens. They would perpetrate in a different way. 
-hmm. If you give them, uh, you know, castration pills or you try to do that, they would use something else because that's what they're attracted to. Right. So it's really that simple. That is what they're attracted to. Just like everybody else is attracted to certain things. Uh You can't take that away any more than, you know, you can take away that I'm heterosexual. Right. And is that attraction with children, right? Because whether I'm attracted heterosexually or homosexually, and the research lately really is saying that's more biological than it is environmental or learned. Mm-hmm. What about with an attraction to children? Is that more a trauma-based attraction or what is that? You can't force someone to be a pedophile when they're not. Okay. So it can't be trauma-based. You see what I'm saying? You okay. can, you can, if you are a pedophile and you are completely creating a very traumatizing environment, teach other people to traumatize in the same way, mm-hmm. which is just like a rapist teaching someone to rape someone in the same way. Right. No matter if it's a child right. or not. Right. Okay. But you cannot force someone to have those attractions if that's just not there, what you're doing is teaching a behavior. And a lot of times when that traumatic situation is over, they stop that behavior because they're not being forced. Okay. And I would imagine too, with children, there's also a power control dynamic. And a pleasing dynamic. Yeah. And a grooming dynamic. Mm. Okay. So what else, what else would you say is important to understand? Not to judge. We do that. Especially people in my profession, we're in this profession to judge, right? But when someone comes in your office, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Just listen to their story, right? And um, that is the problem that is in our society is that when men do disclose, they're not believed or I've heard a therapist not even wanting to see them Mm -hmm. because of the trauma that they've just disclosed. And that, that just adds And if they're reaching out, they're reaching out for a reason. And, you know, it may not even be a therapist. It could be their friend. It could be their mom. It could be whoever. And, you know, um, just listen. If you don't feel that you're the person, say, hey, you know what? At least say thank you and say, let's try to get you the help you need. Right? Right. Or don't say, well, dude, you're gay. Mm -hmm. No, no, they're not gay. (laughs) Or, you know, if it's a woman, well, dude, you should have been lucky. Like, don't say those responses because that completely shuts them down no matter what it is, because that's not probably how they're feeling inside. Right. Right. And that's the thing that's really important. I think we have made some steps forward. What else do you see that as a society, we need to change like kind of the macro level, micro level, right? We've talked some about the small, like if you know this person, if this person talks to you, here's the do's and don'ts. And then what else do we need to like be fighting for? Right. Or. So every year I do a conference, you can go to the scriptconference.com and it's July 29th at California endowment in Los Angeles. And I talk just about this. We actually are doing a whole presentation on this there, but this year the um, theme is uh, change agent. How are we changing things? How are we going to do that? And it comes from those one-on-one interactions. The one thing about the conference is I have people from government entities to law enforcement to um, Homeland Security to corrections sitting on the same panels with people who are Mm ex-felons, who are people from the community, who are consumers, who are wives, who are spouses, who are therapists, who are academics, but everyone is on first name basis and we're talking about these problems. They're on the same panels, they're doing presentations. So it's a community 
actually out there. And then they actually do roundtables on how do we solve these problems and these issues. And then they go back to their own communities and they actually try to implement these things. And we come back the next year and say, what happened? Yeah. So what you're really, different? you're really approaching this from a grassroots effort. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that one-on-one -on -one that does it. It's right. that macro interaction that creates the bigger one. But the one thing people get caught up in is that they want everything to be big and big, be big fast. Mm. And it doesn't work that way. It's from yes. you reaching out to me and me talking, right? Yes. I, you know, it's about going to my son's elementary school saying, hey, this is what I do. Would you like free training? Mm. You know, it's, it's about those things. It's about educating people. It's being not afraid to talk. I call them teachable moments. Mm -hmm. When you see something or you say something to someone, you're like, well, that was kind of odd. And you, you say something and say, you know what? I just appreciate you. It could be your bagger at the grocery store. I just right. appreciate you. You know, you're in it opens the door. Really what I'm hearing you say, right, is the power comes on these smaller levels because that's where we can really see people yeah. and get to know people and have that human connection. Yeah. Right. So if it's the bagger at the grocery store and, and somehow you see them, and acknowledge yeah. that you see them and thank them or whatever, that makes a difference. Yeah, it makes a difference. It's just being kind. I do this whole talk on kindness mm. and what kindness is. Kindness, you know, doesn't mean you donating to your favorite charity. Kindness is walking in a room and saying, hey, you know, you're not smiling today or, or pay attention during a presentation. You may not even want to pay attention, but you know what? The fact that that person's getting up there and spending their time with you, be kind. Right. Get off your phone, mm -hmm. right? Or someone held the elevator open. I see people do this all the time, and we as women expect it, and you don't say thank you. Mm. That's kindness. Yes. That's manners. Yes. Just say thank you. Right. You know, or hold the door open for someone else. Yeah, yeah, I find that as a, I mean, as a female, I get the doors held open for me a lot. I, I think I almost always say thank you and acknowledge yeah. that. Yeah. <clears throat> and acknowledge that. And I'm not offended. Like I know that they know I can open a door. Yeah. Right. But I've been surprised sometimes where I'm the first one through the door and I hold it for a male and he's yeah. kind of like, Oh, I should be holding it for you. And I'm like, why? Like I went to the door. Like, yeah. so yeah. I can open it for you yeah. too and be kind. Yeah. It's just yeah. about being kind. Mm -hmm. If we could be kind to each other, that would change everything. Mm-hmm. You know? And everybody can do that. Yes. It doesn't That's even something have, that everybody can do. It doesn't even have to be about this topic. You know, right. Starbucks was doing this whole play it forward thing and you'd buy someone's coffee behind you and stuff, you know, which I think is really cool. But guess what? People stopped doing it. Yes. It became a trend and trends always end. Yes. And why make it a trend? Right. Keep Instead doing just, it. Well, yeah. You know, say, say yes to things if you have time, you know, that can just be kind. Yes. You know, and, and people don't realize that, you know, and I, I try to teach that to my son. I said, no, it's just kind. We're just going to be kind today. Well, before we wrap up, anything else you want to say? Um, you know, I have a new book coming out. It's called okay, Barbara and My Boys. Barbara um, and My Boys. Yes. And it's about gang intervention. It's five ex-gang members who told their story. It took me since 2008 to get this done. Wow. <laughs> and I gathered the research from it. And you can find out about it on my website. It'll be up for order by the conference on July 29th. But if you go to my website, you can see the synopsis and all of that. You can also buy my first book, His History, Her Story. But that's available at Barnes & Noble and at Amazon. It's in second edition, so make sure you click the oh, nice. second edition. 
Yeah. But all of this stuff is on the scriptconference.com or drdebrawarner.net. And you can contact me there. But I, the next book is very, very exciting to me because it's, it took so many years, but it took a lot of time and trust. And those guys taught me so much about the mm-hmm. world and myself yeah. that I am thoroughly appreciative of all the time that they gave me to, to do this. Yeah. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for, first of all, for being a voice about this topic and, and putting yourself out there and becoming a resource. Mm-hmm. And thanks for coming on here and being able to talk about this. And, and one of the things that I love is that you can break it down so that everybody can, like everybody can be kind. Everybody can see another person as a human and that starts the change factor. Yes. And, you know, I work with this other organization called Men Healing and they do therapy. And that's one of the things they talk about too, is because that's what starts to change is to let people heal by understanding and being kind, you know? Yep. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Keep doing your good work. I'm excited to uh, check out your, your new book coming up. That sounds, that sounds really enlightening. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me here. It was a great nine o'clock in the morning. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until you're finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The Pro of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.